What's up, folks? It's me, it's me, it's Gino V, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, coming to you with big, very special episode 56 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast right here, right here on the IC Robots radio network. Folks, once again, we are in fact a show about nothing, a show in which I sensationalize the mundane aspects of my extremely ordinary life and synthesize that into 30 to 40 minutes of content for your listening pleasure, displeasure, somewhere in between. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter what your name is. It only matters that you, the tens of ones, are still out there listening. And maybe you are, maybe you aren't. I don't even know if that matters. But folks, we are back with another round of takes, musings, Thoughts, reflections, you don't need and didn't want, but you're getting anyway. So let's kick things off. Really quick, I will throw out there for some bizarre, bizarre reason you're listening to this in a vacuum. Please go to your preferred podcasting platform. Look up IC Robots Radio Network. Like, subscribe, do whatever you need to do to get this feed in your regular rotation, and you will have every show on the network that comes down the pike available for your listening pleasure. That includes this show. That includes our flagship world's famous Icy Robot show. I believe it also includes uh, Geek Fest Rants. I think we need some more shows on the network. Who's out there who's ready uh, ready to get behind the mic, as it were? I was thinking earlier today, actually, you know, um, a Wundle show would be something else. I don't know if Wundle would ever commit to something like that. But 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 uh, what would it be called? It'd be called like Joshi with Wundle, um, where he would just talk about his horrible wrestling takes. I don't know. I'd, I'd probably be that'd probably be an audience of one, and it would be me. But no, I, Wundle would be great. Um, Honestly, some non-dudes out there would be great too, because you know you don't want it to, to be too uh, the same same type of folks over and over again. Wendell would hit the youth demographic because I think he's like nineteen, um, but uh, he is still of the bro persuasion, if I understand correctly, and I think I do. Um, anyway, just just a thought. It'd always be interesting to expand. The IC Robots Radio Network. I, I don't know how IC Robots himself feels about that. Just just a thought that came to mind. I don't even know if anyone's out there. For now, you're stuck with me. And as such, I guess I should figure out what in God's name we're actually going to talk about this week. Another week, another extreme lack of inspiration from the outside world. Um, I know I've mentioned it on the show before. I can't remember where last I left with my my oral documentation of this sad saga. But, you know, the Sensational family is in the process of moving. It's a very long, very drawn-out process. Um, Some time ago, might have even been so long as last January, uh, we, on a whim... 
decided to look at um, a housing project, a townhome project here in Napa, California, that um, had had some units built, but many more still under construction. And we would always see this advertisement for them near where we live. And um, we decided to go look at them. And we found uh, that um, there was a model of unit that we could deal with living within and was within our means to, to purchase. And we were hoping to get into home ownership here in Napa, California, because we've been renting a very lackluster home. Um, so it was a solution. It was a place that we could actually afford. Um, housing prices are, um, uh, very, uh, inflated here in Napa, California, particularly if you're buying pre-existing homes, because there is this whole issue of, um, a bidding process, you know, uh, um, uh, house across the street from us, um, was, uh, just went up for sale, a house across the street from where we're renting. A very normal suburban home. I believe the list price for this home, if I remember correctly, was $1.3 million. $1.3 million for an exceedingly average home. Like your, like uh, the, the home version. If Mr. Sensational Gino Vega is an exceedingly average individual... This is an exceedingly average home, but such is life here in Napa, California. Um, suffice it to say, $1.3 million is not within the sensational family budget for home purchasing. And even if for some bizarre reason it were, I don't know that we would ever feel comfortable spending that much money on housing. It seems, seems absurd. Seems beyond the pale. But anyway, so this home goes uh, for sale for $1.3 million, but it's likely not what the home actually sells for because the day it went on the market, it was swarming with people in Teslas um, coming to look at it. Uh, families in these gigantic uh, SUV minivan uh, combo uh, contraptions. All manner of individuals just mobbing out there. And uh, I can guarantee that someone, you know, offered more than the asking price. So individuals like ourselves that could not even afford the, the original asking price could certainly not afford the um, inflated bid price. Anyway, when it comes to new construction, there is no bidding process. You simply go to the sales office and you purchase the model or the unit for the asking price. Now, even this got a bit hairy because when we went to go look at these places on a whim and we realized... Good God, man, we can actually afford one of these. The prices had already been, um, like every week, the uh, the builder, the company behind these houses was raising the price um, to the point where the, the, the model unit that we bought has risen exponentially in price since we managed to lock in the price that we bought it for. Point of all this, this all happened back in January. We looked at it. We thought we could deal with living here. We can afford to live here. Let's just freaking sign up and, uh, and buy one of these. So, so we did. Um, very, it all happened very quickly. Everything else after that happened extremely slowly because this unit that we bought did not exist. It's been being built this entire time. It's almost done at this point, but, um, we were supposed to be moving in this month. Um, however, company-wide, 
the home builder company that that uh, is building this project and builds projects all over the United States. Company wide, tacked on an extra thirty days to all of their projects because due to supply chain issues, they found that. Uh, Projects are being rushed, and then once you buy your new unit from them, you have like X amount of time, like some months afterwards, to find problems and have them come back in and fix things, rebuild things. So they were basically rushing to finish things, then giving them to the home buyer, and then the home buyer was having to have their contractors come in like constantly after the fact, after they'd already moved in to fix things. The company was hoping that by adding an extra 30 days, they could actually finish everything properly so they wouldn't be having to do that as much, which if it all goes according to plan, I, it'll all probably work out for the best. But in any case, our move has been... Uh, Delayed for another 30 days. We're moving in next month, right before the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, so external stimulation from the outside world um, that I can turn into content from the show has been few and far between lately because I have just been in this weird holding pattern where every month I think I'm going to have to like kick it in the high gear and start packing and moving. Then it gets delayed. So I'm just kind of sitting here. Well, you know, once we move, then my life will resume again. And we haven't moved yet. So next month, hopefully. Next month, we will move, and I will be broadcasting to you from the new Sensational Manor. Sensational Manor, I won't say it's 2.0, I will say it is 2.5. It will be the third home that we've ever owned, excluding the many that we have rented over the years. But the third home we'll ever own, but the first home that we ever owned was this incredibly small condominium in Oakland, California. And I, that, that was like Sensational Manor 0.5. Then the home that we lived in for 10 years in Santa Rosa, California, that was Manor 1.5. This will be 2.5. Here in Napa, California, where Ms. S. and I plan to live until at least our um, youngest child is done with high school. So I think we'll be there for at least a good five years. And then we'll see. We'll see where the fates may take us. There's some talk about uh, retiring to uh, San Diego. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But in the meantime, um, the well is a bit dry here on uh, conversation topics. Although, hey, we're 10 minutes in here on very special super episode 56. And I've already managed to go on for these 10 going on 11 minutes about absolutely nothing, which isn't that the whole point of the show. Isn't this what I say at the beginning? That this is a show about nothing. Um, the original show about nothing. The first show about nothing. Uh, don't don't mind the imitators that actually were about something, that actually had professional scriptwriters behind them, that actually were about all kinds of things. This is literally one man shouting into the void, hoping, hoping that maybe the tens of ones are out there hearing the echoes reverberate in all that emptiness. We'll be right back on this. Episode 56 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. The autumn wind is a pirate, blustering in from sea. With a rollicking song, he sweeps along, swaggering boisterously. His face is weather beaten. He wears a hooded sash with a silver hat about his head and a bristling black mustache. He growls as he storms the country, a villain big and bold. And the trees all shake and quiver and quake 
as he robs them of their gold. The autumn wind is a raider, pillaging just for fun. He'll knock you round and upside down and laugh when he's conquered and won. And we are back on episode 56 of the Mr. Sensational Genovica podcast on the Icy Robots Radio Network. You know, it occurred to me during that break, I was sitting here thinking, and I've been talking about how I had nothing to talk about, how I was um, in an inspirational drought. And then I was sitting here and I was thinking about what I did last night. Um, it was a Monday here in Napa, California at the Faux Rental Sensational Manor. And I spent most of the day recovering our home from the weekend, cleaning up all the various cooking projects in the kitchen, cleaning the floors in the house, this, that. And the third, um, made dinner, ate dinner, proceeded to watch Monday night football in which the Las Vegas Raiders played a football game against the Los Angeles Chargers at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. Inglewood, always up to no good. And it caused me to realize something that obviously I should have known and obviously factually, intellectually I knew, but it hadn't really gripped me yet existentially. But folks... It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year because, folks, it's October. It is October. Which means we are at the very beginning of the slide through the best seasons of the year, fall and winter. And the best period of the year, the holiday season. The holiday season, folks. Halloween. Halloween is like weeks away. And after Halloween, you get Thanksgiving. And after Thanksgiving, you get Christmas. And after Christmas, you get New Year's Eve. And I apologize um, beforehand to anyone who does not uh, accept, observe, appreciate, etc. Any of those particular holidays, your mileage may vary. Holiday mileage will vary from person to person, from tradition to tradition. For my particular tradition that I was born and raised in, this is my holiday continuum. These are my high holy days. And of course, this is all at a purely um, secular level. Um, these are... These are um, Secular holidays, despite um, some of them, uh, Christmas in particular, having, I guess, kind of a religious facade. Uh, but for me, you know, I, I, I celebrate like the Santa Claus ho-ho-ho presents, uh, uh, cocktails, holly jolly version, you know, the secular knockoff version of Christmas. Um, but for, and, and seasonally, too, you know, I, I've talked before on the show that I'm a missed person. I was born in uh, San Francisco. I, I thrive in mist. I thrive in cool air. And air is not as cool as it once was. Um, uh, nowadays, it stays hotter longer and gets hotter. But even still, even still, we're on a jag right now. I think I looked at my uh, weather forecast here, and it's like basically 70 degrees is the high 
all week. So we're moving away from that 90-degree, sweltering, disgusting atmosphere where I can barely function into something a little more comfortable. So great times. And these great times, there's a few harbingers for me, personal signposts where I realize that we are, in fact, in the most wonderful time of the year. And one of those for me, for many years now, has perennially been the beginning of the American football season. And I've talked about football before on the show. I think I devoted an episode before to it. But the, the, the summary is, the long and the short is, a football appeals to me because it gives me something during the fall and winter season to look forward to once a week. And my interest in the actual game of football ebbs and flows as the years come and go. Sometimes I'm more into it than others. But I always like just having that tradition. That, that It's the time of the year where I'm already feeling positive about where we're headed when it comes to the holidays, when it comes to the weather, when it comes to the seasons. And then suddenly I hear... Then I can't remember how the rest of it goes. But is that is that the Fox music or the the CBS music? The NFL on CBS. I can't remember which one it is. But in any case, this all starts with the imagery, the music, the 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 feelings of the year. It all ties together into this perfect continuum of happiness. Which is funny because they, they often talk about, you know, seasonal depression coming on in the, in the winter. I am the exact opposite. This is my manic high point of the year we're heading into. So brace yourself on these upcoming very special fall and winter episodes, folks. Um, in any case, uh, when it comes to football, and when it comes to football as my f- traditional focus for this time of the year, my football lens is entirely through the team of the now- Las Vegas Raiders. And it feels like the Raiders, for reasons unknown, are consistently a controversial franchise in the world of the NFL. I feel like Raider fans get a certain amount of grief that many other fans of other NFL franchises do not receive. Um... And it's often grief for the very things that draw me to the franchise. So very briefly, very quickly here, I want to spend a little time on the show um, giving a quick shout out to um, the Las Vegas Raiders, the Oakland Raiders, the Los Angeles Raiders, Raider Nation, as it were, which we're going to touch on. But um, just a little defense, a little shout out. Um, So the long and the short is, for those of you who are, are not super familiar with the NFL. You know, the Raiders kind of have this tough guy image. They wear silver and black, you know, that's all skulls and pirate this and eye patch that and Metallica and gangster rap music and fans dressed up in crazy costumes and uh, kind of gangster looking fans. And uh, for years they had this crazy dictatorial owner that meddled in the affairs of the coaches he would hire and now his, his son runs the franchise and they play in a brand new stadium that looks like the Death Star and is nicknamed the Death Star. And to that, I would say, how could anyone not, I mean, not that you have to be a fan of the team, but not realize that that's all cool stuff 
Like you don't like stuff that's cool. You 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 prefer teams in like dopey pastel colors and uh, you know um, named after like uh, I don't know what are some what is it like a cardinal cardinals that's cool. Um, what else is out there? Uh, Eagles. I guess Eagles are cooler than Cardinals. I, I will say. But it's just funny to me that there's so much pushback on the Raiders' sort of bad boy image. Um, when to me, that's what makes the team interesting. Football football is inherently boring. Who cares about boring sports, right? But when you throw in personalities, when you throw in characters, when you throw in storylines, that's where boring sports turns into entertainment, turns into pro wrestling, you know? Um, and to me, that's what the Raiders are. And that's what the Raiders bring to football. The Raiders early in their existence in, in their prime years were also a very winning football team within the last 20 years have been a very mediocre to badly losing football team. But even when they were badly losing, they were badly losing in such a bizarre, gruesome, dysfunctional way that that in itself was entertaining to me. There were years where I found sitting there watching the Raiders implode in ways you could not even imagine possible was more entertaining than watching some generic good team. And I will stand by that. And I will once again say, what's wrong with you? You don't like pirates? You don't like the Death Star? You don't like Metallica? You don't like Ice Cube? Well, then I've got nothing for you. Um, In true Raiders fashion, they started off... Not that this part was in true fashion, but we'll get there. They started off this season winning their first three games, looking like they were actually going to be a uh, legitimate team, and then lost pretty pathetically in the Monday night game last night. Um... Beginning, which what I like to describe as the yearly unmasking of the Raiders, because there's usually this idea because of the Raiders, even though it's been so long since the Raiders have been anything even remotely resembling a good team, because they built up such a cachet in the uh, 70s and 80s, um, they're still thought of weirdly, not not intellectually as a good team, but people often jump to like, you know, they're not the Jaguars, you know, so even when they're bad, people are like, oh, but they're about to become good again. And so there's often some buzz like, oh, this year they're going to be good. And maybe they'll show a few glimpses, like maybe that's actually going to happen. But then surely enough, they are unmasked as once again, a mediocre Raider team. That said, never going to give you up, never going to let you go, never going to, uh-huh, I'm, I'm Raider for life, buddy. Um, Again, it's the sheer ritual of the thing, the sheer tradition of the thing. I ultimately don't really care a whit about the games. I don't care a whit about the NFL, but I like hearing the familiar noises, seeing the familiar imagery, and allowing it to suck me into that continuum of the fall, winter, holiday season. I'm sure I've talked about this before on the show, but it's been years, so it's time to revisit once more. One final thing, two final things I would like to say on this topic. One final thing. One issue that Raider fans often get grief over is the fact that their team has moved. They moved from Oakland to Los Angeles. They moved from Los Angeles to Oakland. And now they moved from Oakland to Las Vegas. So we oftentimes get clowned for that. But what people don't understand, what people don't really realize, is that the Raiders are a global football team. 
it's Raider Nation, which I guess is not really global. That's a, a country. But still, Raider Nation is an international nation comprised of many nations all in one. Raider Nation is a Raider state of mind. It's not about a certain locale. And so I would say uh, there are places the Raiders could move to, at which point they would lose their Raider mystique, at which point Raider Nation would be irreparably fractured. And that would be a move to some dopey city in some dopey state. Like, no offense to our tens of ones residing in the Midwest, but Midwestern Raiders are not going to cut it. Um, So Oakland, obviously, is where the Raiders were born. Los Angeles, that's not a big stretch. You know, they both kind of have the edgy urban thing going. Los Angeles is just a bigger version Las Vegas is a weird, edgy, outlaw city, so that makes sense. I can see the Raiders in Mexico City. That used to be a rumor that they were going to try to expand into Mexico, the NFL was, and the Raiders would move there. Um, i trying to think where else they, they, they would uh, uh, survive and thrive. Where they wouldn't survive and thrive is uh, people were talking about Portland. That would have been dopey. Um Let's see, I'm actually looking at a list of theoretical NFL expansion cities here. San Antonio, eh. I do remember they were talking about that before moving to Vegas. Eh. I don't think so. Uh, Portland, no. Um, uh, St. Louis, Missouri, eh. Um, <laughs> Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, eh. Um, and yeah, Mexico City, that would have worked. But it, the, the point is... Um, the Raiders, they are not tied to a specific municipality. And to be perfectly honest, we are really kidding ourselves when we think any sports franchise in 2021 is really about a city. They could all leave at any given time. I mean, of course, some never will leave. There's no point. But they're, they're, these, are, these are our profit-driven franchises that are in it for money that utilize, you know, they, they draw a fan base out of whatever city they're in. But... You go build a new billion-dollar stadium somewhere, you're going to get new fans. It's not like, oh, I'm not going to like them because they're from another city. Or, you know, um, This is going on currently with um, the Oakland A's, um, my baseball team of choice. It's making a lot of noise about moving. Now, when it comes to the A's, I feel a little bit differently than I do the Raiders. And this is why. It's not because I, I have some idea that the... Oakland A's are really about Oakland or they they belong to a specific geographical area area because again these teams are not public utilities they're private franchises but if the Oakland Athletics ownership their owner comes from a billionaire family he's the uh, heir of um, the Gap Corporation but he's also known for being one of the most tight-fisted uh, Major League Baseball owners. He invests very little money into the team. Um, had he been an owner who kept his uh, pocketbook open for the team, even when in a smaller market town like Oakland, and just could no longer make a go of it there and needed to move somewhere that was capable of of helping to finance a new modern stadium, I could understand that. But when you're a skinflint, when you spend no money on the team, you're going to bleed one locale dry, dry and then 
cry poor mouth and say the city needs to pay for your stadium for you and then move to greener pastures, that's off-putting. In the case of the Raiders, the Davis family, it's funny because because, uh, the deceased owner, the late owner, Al Davis, had this reputation as a meddling owner, I've noticed before more casual NFL fans out there think that he was some businessman that didn't know anything about football that was meddling with the team. But the thing is, Al Davis was one of the few remaining NFL owners before he died that came literally from football. He did not come from any kind of corporate background, some business background. He was a football coach in the early days of the AFL and the NFL that just kind of wormed his way into team ownership. The Davis family was always known as basically the quote-unquote poorest of the NFL ownership families. Yet, yet, spending money on the team was never an issue. It was open, open pocketbooks, all money in, and eventually just got to the point where there just wasn't a feature for them in Oakland anymore. Oakland is kind of a throwback city to having teams. Oakland was from an era where sports was more of a blue-collar thing. It was more of a working-class thing. It wasn't the uh, white-collar, billion-dollar stadium luxury, this, that, that it is now. And that's just, you know, times have changed. Life has changed. Um, just like on the latest episode of the uh, World's Famous Icy Robots uh, radio show, ISR was talking about how um, my hatred, my, my absolute hatred for all elite wrestling, um, currently hot American wrestling company, um, is rooted in not being able to get with the modern times of wrestling. And that is entirely true. But I, I accept, I accept that wrestling has passed me by. Um, I also accept that sports franchises have largely passed by the smaller working class cities. I understand why that's not a thing anymore. So in closing... In the case of the Raiders, when they moved from Oakland to Las Vegas, I didn't even bat an eye when it came to uh, following them there as a fan. Did not bother me in the slightest. With the Oakland Athletics, I don't know. The jury's still out. We will see. We shall see what happens. I, I think I need to continue following baseball in one form or fashion, regardless of um, what happens with the A's, but I don't know if the new incarnation of the A's will be how I am following them. I've actually been thinking, there's rumors out there that the New York Mets are seeking to hire uh, A's. I, he's not the general manager anymore, is he? I, I think he's like the has some high, like he's like the president of operations. I don't know. I don't have the the title in front of me, but Billy Bean, the famous Moneyball guy, the guy that sort of put together the strategy that the management strategy that the A's use to be a semi-contending team despite having no payroll. Uh, there's rumor that the Rumors that the Mets are looking to overhaul their front office and that they are um, looking to try to recruit Billy Bean to come over to the Mets. And I'm kind of thinking if that happens, I might become a Mets fan because I was not a uh, active Mets fan when I was a kid, like not like I watched their games. But when I collected baseball cards around the year of 1986, I got on a run of having a lot of Mets cards and I got very taken in with the wild and crazy characters on the Mets, the Doc Goodens, the Mookie Wilsons, uh, the Ron Darlings. I was kind of had, a, I didn't know a ton about the Mets, the, the Daryl Strawberries, but uh, I kind of liked the vibe, um, but never really explored it fully because hey, I was a little kid and you couldn't really watch, you know, it was 1986. You couldn't watch, easily watch out of market games, et cetera, et cetera. Here in 2021, there would be no obstacle to crossing over to Mets fandom, and I might just do that. We shall see. I will keep you posted. 
the last thing I will say is when it comes to these interests of mine, like football, like baseball, that are tied more into, um, I don't even know how to describe it. Like they're, they're more of a muscle memory thing than they are like a, a true gratification based on the content. You know, like every now and again, I can get up for a, for a sports game and get excited about it. But generally speaking, let's put it to you this way. I was watching a UFC event, something that I'm still um, fully invested in content wise. Like I care who's going to win, who's going to lose. Not always, but I can. I can care about the outcome of mixed martial arts more readily these days than I can about football or baseball. Part of that is because like in football or baseball, I follow one team in each sport and neither team's ever going to win anything. So it's hard to really get up. But um, I was watching a uh, mixed martial arts, a UFC title match the other day, and I'd really gotten into the story of the champion who was defending his title, a fellow by the name of Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, little guy, as they call him, five, six guy, my height, as it were, he was fighting a five, eight guy named Brian Ortega. And this five, eight guy had the nerve to try to pick on Alexander for being short. And I will be the first to tell you, yes, yes, five, six is vertically challenged. What of it? You know, someday I will be dead and I will no longer be five, six, but haters of the short will, um, be haters of the short, even in death. I don't know. That, that was an old Roger Ebert line that I just kind of butchered there. It was like, uh, who was this guy? Um, some indie director made some horrible film and uh, Roger Ebert panned it. And the guy called Roger Ebert fat. And Roger Ebert was like, someday I'll be dead and I will no longer be fat, but you will forever be the guy that made this horrible film. God, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, in any case, what was I saying here? Um, oh yeah, so I, I was getting up for this uh, for this uh, UFC title fight, and it was it was like seriously in decades of watching MMA, it was one of the best title fights I've ever seen. My guy Volk uh, won, but I was so enthralled, I was so into it that uh, my little fitness tracker gimmick that I wear uh, notified me that I had an elevated heart rate. <laughs> you know, because it's like if your heart rate goes over one twenty and you're just sitting there, they alert you that something's wrong. I don't get that kind of reaction out of watching um, football or baseball, but I continue to watch it, again, out of muscle memory, out of tradition, and I don't think that I would ever let those things go. But maybe, you know, I don't know. Sometimes letting things go can be a positive. I've been thinking about this because of some talk recently on the World's Famous IC Robot Show where he talked about um, kind of walking away from potato chips. And... It was making me think, you know, as I get older and as the metabolism slows down, I too have kind of walked away from certain um, foodstuffs. Not entirely, but you just uh, do less of it. You do less of the chips. You do less of the ice cream. You do less of the pizza. Um, I just don't know if I would ever could ever walk away from any of those things forever. And again, I guess one day you will die and you will walk away from them forever regardless. But I, yeah, it, it, I don't know. I can see how there's benefits to cutting the cord, but there's also that inexorable pull, at least for me, of habit and tradition. So I'm going to continue watching football and baseball out of habit for the foreseeable future. And I will continue regaling you with tales of nothing out of similar habit and compulsion for also... 
the foreseeable future. But for this week, folks, we are done. Thank you for uh, coming along for this uh, excruciating sports talk. Oh, I wanted to end with one thing, one final thing here. Just to all you uh, Raider haters out there in the tens of ones, I always like to, and and I've gotten pushed back even on this. Um, So, you know, lots of people I know don't like the Raiders and they make fun of me for liking the Raiders. But almost all of those same people like the comedian George Carlin. Who doesn't like George Carlin? George Carlin's like this interesting sort of a plastic character. Like no matter what your ideology is, no matter what your worldview is, you kind of think that George Carlin is speaking for you because I've seen like ultra liberal people think George Carlin is speaking for them. Ultra conservative people think George Carlin is speaking for them. In this case, a Raiders fan knows George Carlin was speaking for him. And I'm going to end with this quote from the late, um, I don't know if he's great. I think he's okay. (laughs) George Carlin. On the Raiders, and I quote, In football, I root for the Oakland Raiders because they hire cast-offs, outlaws, malcontents, and F-ups. They have lots of penalties, fights, paybacks, and because Al Davis told the rest of the pig NFL owners to go blank blank. Someday, the Raiders will be strong again, and they will dip the ball in blank and shove it down the throats of the wholesome, blank, heartland teams that pray together and don't deliver late hits. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the last word on the Raiders. If you don't like the Raiders, you don't like George Carlin. I don't know if that really matters because I don't think it does. But in any case, it's me, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, signing off.